Uh, but today we're going to look at a passage from Philippians. We're going to close out uh, the second chapter of Philippians. But before we dig into the text, I want to start today uh, by having you think about and write down the name of somebody who has significantly impacted your life. So in your bulletin, there's a handout, and on the top of that handout, there's a blank line. And on that blank line, I want you to, to write down the person, or maybe it's two or three people that you can think of, but somebody who has had a profound impact in your life. Now, this should be somebody who, if their life didn't intersect your life at some point in time, you wouldn't be where you are today. So for some of you, it might be um, a Sunday school teacher who led you to the Lord 30 years ago. For some of you, it might be a parent or a sibling or a spouse or a school teacher or a coach. But who is that person who has had a profound impact in your life? And some of you are going to be able to think about that right away and write it down. Others of you, you're going to you know, have to process and think about that, and that's okay. But sometime between now and the end of the message, think about that person and write it down because we're actually going to be using that at the end of the sermon. Okay, so for those of you who have that written down, now I want you to ask yourself this question. Why did that person have such an impact on your life? Not how did they impact you. I'm not necessarily asking what they did or what they said. But think, why did this person impact me or influence me the way that they did? See, when I asked myself that question after I wrote down the person on my list, I realized something. I realized the reason why they had such impact in my life wasn't because they achieved something great. It's not like that person um, did something that was so wonderful that I was like, wow, they just influenced me because they made $3 million or because they wrote a New York Times bestseller or because they have a blog with 100,000 followers. It wasn't because they did something. The reason why that person had such influence on my life was because of who they were. They possessed a certain character trait that really had that impact on me. And I think we would all agree that if we trace that back far enough to the person that we had written down on that list, we would say, yeah, it really wasn't something that they did necessarily. It wasn't something that they accomplished or achieved. It was rather who they were. Maybe it was their intentionality. Maybe it was them uh, really just being present and available with you. Maybe it was their generosity or the joy that they had. But we could probably trace it back to some character trait that they had that really influenced us and impacted us. And this is going to be kind of an underlying theme throughout the message today. It's not going to be the main point. It's not going to be the thing that we focus on. Rather, it's going to be kind of like a backdrop that we're going to see every once in a while throughout the sermon. And that is that in God's kingdom, character is superior to achievements. God cares more about who we are than the things that we do or the things that we achieve. Now, the person that I wrote down on my list, just to give you a little background in, in my life, uh, was a guy by the name of John Garwick. There should be a picture of him uh, right there. Some of you who have been around Cornerstone for a while probably re recognize this guy. Um, I don't have time to share my, my whole testimony, but I didn't place my faith in Jesus until I was 18 years old. And then for about the first two years of, of my Christian life, um, my relationship with Jesus was pretty weak. Uh, I went to church on Sundays, but it was more to impress Katie who was then my girlfriend, now she's my wife. It was more to impress her than it was to really fellowship or to learn about God. I read my Bible, but again, that was more of like to check it off the list than to really learn anything. I wasn't serving anywhere. I had no idea what spiritual gifts were even. And I wasn't involved in any kind of Bible study or home group or any kind of group outside of Sunday morning. So my relationship with Jesus was pretty weak. And then in about 2007, and I could be wrong on that, um, somewhere around 2007, uh, the church went through a transition 
where the senior pastor left, and they brought on an interim pastor, and John Garwick was that interim pastor. And God used this man to show me, not to tell me, but to show me what it looked like to actually follow Jesus. You know, the, he, he was the one that, that really showed me what it was to be intentional, and that was the character trait, his intentionality, and his encouragement. Those were the two things that had a profound impact on my life. And I could honestly say, if it weren't for this guy, I wouldn't be here standing on this stage talking with you all. Just to give you a couple stories um, that show his intentionality, you know, I remember the first conversation that I had, had with this guy. Um, he had preached a sermon, it was Sunday. Um, after the sermon, we had introduced uh, each other to our, to, you know, we introduced ourselves to each other. And uh, this was the first thing he said, hey, Josh, what are you doing Saturday morning? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's Sunday. I don't make plans out that, that far in advance. And uh, so I was like, nothing, I guess. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to be at your house at seven o'clock to pick you up. We're going to go to breakfast and it'll be on me. My first thought was like, who does this guy think he is? You know, Saturday morning, that's my day to sleep in. I don't want to wake up at seven o'clock. And you didn't even properly ask if I wanted to go to breakfast with you. You just basically said, you're going to show up at my house and take me to breakfast. So I was a little annoyed at this guy at first, but I didn't want to be mean. You know, we were in a church and he was a pastor. So I was like, you know, okay, yeah, well, I'll go to breakfast with you. And uh, sure enough, he picked me up Saturday morning. Uh, we went to breakfast, and I did not want to like this guy. I, I really wanted to be bitter and kind of like angry at him because of the way that he approached this. But it turned out that I actually really enjoyed uh, being in his company because of how intentional he was, because of how engaged he was. He actually wanted to hear the things that I had to say. And that day, a, a friendship started. And from that week forward, we met every single week, at least once a week, sometimes two or three times a week. And again, God used this guy to show me what it looked like to follow Jesus. It was actually John who encouraged me to start helping out with the youth kids. It was John who approached the elders and suggested that I get hired on part-time as a youth leader. So if it weren't for him, I don't think I would be here today speaking with you all. That was back in about 2008. Here we are eight years later, and by God's grace, I'm still here somehow. I don't know how. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing back then. I still don't know what I'm doing, but they let me come to work every day, so um, I'll take it. You know, but I remember the fr- he, was, he was actually there the first, I won't even call it a sermon or a message. He was there the first time I, I spoke at youth group, and there, there was this little tiny podium, and it was, I was talking on Acts chapter 2. I'll never forget this, because I was sitting there. I was grabbing onto the side of the podium. I was so nervous. You know, I'm stuttering. I have like the armpit sweat that goes down to like the hip, you know, and I'm rocking back and forth. And I'm trying to just somehow get this out, this, this message, if you will, that I put together. And um, I remember thinking to myself, you know what, I just want to like drop this and leave. And if I leave and never come back, like I'd be okay with that because this is the most humiliating thing I've ever done in my life because I have no idea what I'm doing. And just at the right time, Frank, I don't know if you're in here, but you might remember this because I think you and Tyler were the only ones there at this time. But uh, John, John Garwick, he said he was sitting in the back. And I remember him, he nudged Frank, and he said in in a loud whisper, you know, loud enough to where I could hear, man, this is so good. Josh is doing such a good job. And that's that's the encouragement that I needed to to push through and, and to get through that awful speech that I was giving. And it gave me the motivation to come back the next week. You see, I don't remember a word that I said about Acts chapter 2 that night, but I'll never forget the words that John spoke that night. That's just how he was. He was intentional with like that, and he was encouraging like that. And we all should have a John in our life. 
And we all have the potential to be a John in someone else's life. You know, it was his character that helped shape me. And he would be the first one to tell you that he was not always that way. He was not always intentional. He was not always encouraging. I remember him sharing stories about how selfish he was. And he would just say, you know, all he really cared about, cared about was himself. But when the object of his hope changed from himself to Jesus, his character changed. Hope transformed his character And he learned what it was to encourage people and to be intentional. So he was passing that on. So that is going to be our main idea for the sermon today, is this idea that hope transforms our character. Because we're going to look at this passage from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And we could have gone a number of different um, directions with this, but the more I read through this, the more I realized something. And that was that Paul really focuses in on the character of these two men that he's going to introduce us to, Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are two guys that Paul uses to really exemplify everything that he's talked about so far in the letter. So as we read through this, you're going to see things um, like humility. We talked about that a while ago. Um, Working together in unity. We talked about that. This idea of being lights and darkness. But he's really going to highlight these specific character traits. And I thought it would be cool for us Uh, to look at that through the same lens. So we're going to highlight three character traits that I think hope dealers should possess. These are character traits that we should cultivate and develop, character traits that people who have placed their faith in Jesus, I think these are character traits that we should have ourselves. And we'll discover this truth, that hope transforms our character. And you know, we really see that played out in the life of Paul. We see that played out in the life of Peter and all the other disciples. If you were to go through the list, John and Matthew, Mark, we see that in the life of John Garwick. You know, he even confessed to me like, hey, I wasn't always this way, but when I trusted in Jesus, my character started to change. That should be true of all of us. And this truth actually comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 3. Paul says this, And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So Paul's explaining this. He said, look, we start with this hope in God and His glory and who He is. We start with this hope. And he says, we just don't stop there. We actually kind of move forward and we rejoice in suffering. Not only that, but we rejoice in suffering. You ask yourself, how can somebody rejoice in suffering? That sounds like a crazy person talking. Well, we can rejoice in suffering because we look at it through the lens of hope, and we realize that that suffering is going to produce something greater, and Paul tells us what that produces. He says that hope, you know, we start with this hope, and we can look at these sufferings that we go through. The next slide, if you guys can go to that. So we look at the suffering through the lens of hope because we know that that suffering is going to produce endurance. And then that endurance, right, this, this kind of like longevity that, that, that we get is going to produce greater character. And that, cr- great, that character is going to produce a greater sense of hope. And that greater sense of hope will get us ready for that next trial that we face or that next bout of suffering that we go through. So ultimately, hope transforms our character. And it's our goal to be transformed into the image of Jesus. It's this process called sanctification. We should start to look like and think like and act like Jesus more and more every day as we follow him. That's why we say hope transforms our character. And when our, the object of our hope moves from ourselves to Jesus, that should affect our character. And that's what we're going to see in the passage here today as we read through. So if you have a copy of God's Word, 
We're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. You can follow along on the screens uh, if you don't. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So here in this short little portion of the scriptures, uh, Paul breaks this passage up into two chunks. In the first part, he talks about this guy named Timothy. Most of us are probably familiar with him. And in the second part, he talks about a guy named Epaphroditus. And the background on this, kind of the 30,000-foot view, as Pastor Scott has mentioned in weeks before, this is Paul writing a letter to the church at Philippi. And in this portion, he explains to them, hey, I really want to send... Timothy to you. He wants to send Timothy as a gift to the church to come alongside the leaders, to pray with them, to encourage them, to teach them, right? And then Paul says, I myself want to come eventually once I kind of see how things are going to go with me. So Paul has this hope, this desire to send Timothy. He has this hope and desire to come and visit the church himself. But for whatever reason, it's not the right time to send Timothy. So he says, in the meantime, I'm going to send this guy Epaphroditus. And then he spends a pretty good chunk of this portion talking about this guy. And we don't know a lot about him because he's only mentioned two times in scriptures, here in chapter two and then again in chapter four. So we just have a little glimpse of this guy's life. But he was the one that carried the church's gift from Philippi to Rome. And then in turn, I mean, we have the book of Philippians here. We have this letter. So he was the one that more than likely took the letter back from Rome, where Paul was more than likely in prison, back to the church in Philippi so the church could read it and distribute it to the other churches in the region. So again, we don't know that much about Epaphroditus, but we do know quite a bit about Timothy. We're going to focus in on him in this first little chunk here. And I realized something, I was studying through this, I didn't see this before, but Timothy was actually with Paul when the church at Philippi was first established. So in Acts chapter 16, if you read through that, you'll see that Timothy was with Paul when the church was first started. And I found this interesting because Paul spends a lot of time talking about Timothy's character traits, even though the pe- many of the people at the church of Philippi would have known who he was. Okay, they, they would have known who Timothy was. When Paul said, I want to send Timothy to you, it wouldn't have been like, wait, who's Timothy? Who, who, like, who is this guy? They would have known who he was. They would have known about his character. But Paul takes the time. He's intentional. He takes the time to speak about the character of Timothy. I mean, look at the way that he describes him in verse 20 and 22. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. 
but you know Timothy's proven worth or his proven character. It's interesting because that word right there, this, this proven worth, carries along with it this idea that somebody's character, their actual character, is put through a test or a trial, and they come out obedient or victorious in the end. So Paul is, is telling the church, you guys know about Timothy's proven worth or his proven character, how he has endured those trials and those sufferings, and he's remained obedient. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And the more I read this, the more I remembered what I had heard about Timothy before from somebody else. I didn't come up with this, but I remember. This is a character trait that I want to highlight about Timothy that I think we should have too. Timothy was fat. Timothy was fat, and we should be too. And wasn't that kind of fat? He was faithful. Timothy was available. And Timothy was teachable. This is kind of like a three-in-one for us. But these are character traits that I think, as hope dealers, we should possess. Because you read through that passage, and Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth or his proven character. To be able, I mean, here's the thing. Timothy was friends with Paul. If you're going to be friends with Paul, you're going to go through some kind of trouble, some kind of persecution, some kind of trial. I mean, could you imagine like that first interaction, Paul going up to Timothy and like, hey, you want to be my friend? You have rocks thrown at you, you get punched in the face maybe, right? Like that, that would be an interesting conversation. I mean, wherever Paul went, suffering went because he was proclaiming the name of Jesus. So we know that Timothy went through his fair share of, of sufferings, of trials. You have to ask yourself, you know, like what would carry somebody through that? Well, it's hope in Jesus. He remained faithful to Jesus despite those trials and those sufferings. So we can say that he was faithful. And this this term faithful, it has this idea that it's like this unrelenting adherence to Jesus. So that no matter what pulls at him or what comes his way, he's not letting go of Jesus. To give you an illustration of what this looks like, Xander and I, we were riding our bikes the other day and he fell and he got a little cut on his thumb and it was bleeding. So we had to go inside and I put a Band-Aid over it and cleaned it up. Well, five minutes later, He's riding his bike, and the Band-Aid pops off. It didn't adhere to him. It wasn't faithful. So I went and I got some blue uh, painter's tape, and I wrapped his finger in the blue painter's tape. Ten minutes later, that popped off. Okay, it wasn't faithful. It didn't adhere. So I was frustrated, and he was frustrated. So I was like, Xander, you got to trust me on this one, bud. He's like, okay. So I went into the garage, and I went past the duct tape to the Gorilla Tape. I don't know if you ever use Gorilla Tape, but that stuff is like duct tape on steroids. And I wrapped his thumb in, in, in Gorilla Tape. And don't tell the, don't, I hope Katie's not watching. She didn't hear about this story. So uh, this one will just be between us. But I wrapped his finger in, in the Gorilla Tape and it stuck. It adhered. It was faithful. I even tried when, I, when we had to, you know, time to remove it. I couldn't get it off. I tried picking at it. I couldn't get it off. So I had to soak his finger in some soapy water, you know, and work it and pop it off. That's what it means to be faithful. That's how Timothy was. No matter what came his way, he remained faithful to Jesus. That's a character trait I think we should possess. That's the F in fat. Now let's go to the A. He was available. Uh, Paul says of Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For somebody to be genuinely concerned about another person's welfare, they have to be available to that person. Available to talk with them, available to listen to them, available to pray with them and to lead them and to instruct them. Look, we all, well, I shouldn't say we all, but most of us probably have that person in our life who we know is not available, right? We can be standing right in front of them, and they're more concerned about the people who aren't in front of them because they're scrolling through their Facebook feed or they're texting somebody or looking at Instagram, and you're like, dude, we're right here. Like, have a conversation with me. 
Okay, that's like somebody who's like unavailable. They're not really concerned about the other people. That's not how Timothy was. He was genuinely concerned about other people's well-being, about their welfare. And Paul says, look, I have nobody like him who will be so genuinely concerned and so available to you guys. That's the A in fat. And then we see that he was teachable because Paul says he was like a son, to the, a son with me in the way that we served in the gospel. Sons have this natural ten- tendency, or I should say children have a natural tendency to want to learn from their parents. Again, going back to Xander, I don't have to say, hey, Xander, let me teach you something. Every day, it's like, Daddy, what does this do? How do you do this? What's this? What's this? That's his thing lately. What's this? What's this? What's this? All day long, right? They just want to learn. They're teachable. And that's how Timothy was when he was with Paul. He was like a son, just eager to learn, wanting to learn. And I think that's a character trait that we should have as hope dealers. Digging in this, wanting to learn more. How do I become more and more like Jesus? How do I handle this situation? How do I pray for this person who is hurting? I think we should be teachable, just like Timothy was. You know, so the next step for us, kind of the, the application part for us, I think, is that we need to identify and, and surrender the distractions in our life that are keeping us from being fat. We should identify and surrender those, those sin issues, those, those distractions in our life that are keeping us from being faithful, available, and teachable. So a season in my life not that long ago um, I, I went through this bout of apathy where I just did not care. I lost interest in just about everything. I remember it well because it was my last semester of taking classes at Moody Bible Institute, and I had senioritis like no other because I had been in college for eight years straight just to get my bachelor's degree because I switched so many times and because we wanted to go through it you know, debt-free, so I was only taking a few classes at a time. But after eight years, man, I was done. I was like, okay, I don't care about this. I just want to get C's. I just want to you know, kind of breeze through this. I was done. That translated into my work and into my relationships. Apathy got in the way of my hope, and it wreaked havoc on my character. I had to identify the fact that, yeah, I'm just, I just lost interest in everything. I'm apathetic right now. I just don't care. And then I had to ask people around me who knew me well to keep me accountable and say, look, if you guys see me start sliding back into this, like call me out on it. Slap me. Do whatever it takes, because I don't want to enter back into that. I'll tell you what, I was not faithful when I was going through that season. I was not available because I only cared about myself, and I definitely was not teachable because I was just burnt out and done. So I think it's important for us, if we really want to develop and cultivate this idea of being faithful, available, and teachable, we need to identify and surrender those, dis- those, those sin issues, those distractions that are keeping us from being like that. So I don't know what that is for you in your life, but you know, pray about that, and then ask some people who are close to you to keep you accountable so that we can be known as people, this sounds crazy, so that we can be known as fat people, right? Faithful, available, and teachable. So now let's look at Epaphroditus. Again, this guy, he came from the church. The people reading this letter, they would have known who he was very well because he would have been um, worshiping with them on Sundays. He would have eaten meals with them. Paul did not have to describe Epaphroditus the way that he did. Paul could have kept this section of Scripture very short. He could have said, hey, I'm going to send Timothy to you. I have a desire to come visit, visit you too. In the meantime, I'm going to send Epaphroditus. Make sure you guys take care of him because he almost died on his journey here. And then that could have been it. Because the readers would have known about Epaphroditus and who he was. But we see Paul taking the time and being intentional and talking about 
not what Epaphroditus or Timothy have achieved in their life, but rather who they are. And he's building up their character and he's speaking life into who they are in Christ. Look at the way that he describes them, just a couple of of, um, words that he uses. He calls them a brother. It's this term of endearment where they're united, they're in the same family. He calls them a fellow worker, so they're members of the same team, striving side by side for the gospel. A fellow soldier, right? They're warriors for the same cause. They're fighting in the same battle, the battle for the kingdom. He's a messenger. He was the one that was willing to take the message where others wouldn't. And he's a minister. He attended to the needs of of the people around him. Those are all great character traits to highlight. But the one that I want to spend time talking about is actually found in verse uh, 30. When Paul, speaking about Epaphroditus, says this, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. He risked his life. So from this, we discover that Epaphroditus was reckless, or he was a risk taker. And I think that's a character trait that we should possess as hope dealers too. That's an interesting word that he uses, because it literally means to expose oneself to danger or to live recklessly. Now, when you think about it, it was an 800-mile journey from Philippi to Rome. 800 miles without a car, without an airplane, without even a mountain bike. All right? This, was, this would have been a dangerous trek. This would have been a dangerous journey. Modern-day equivalent, if we were to start walking kind of like northeastern from Prescott, we could get to Boulder, Colorado. That's 784 miles, just shy of 800 miles. That's a long journey. Epaphroditus would have exposed himself to a bunch of different dangers. We even read about the fact that he almost died somewhere between Philippi and Rome. He contracted uh, or developed some kind of sickness, some kind of illness that almost took his life. So you have to ask yourself, why on earth would somebody be willing to take such a risk just to bring a gift from one church to some guy sitting in prison? I think verse 30 gives us the answer to that. Because he was working for Christ. See, Epaphroditus had the kingdom of God and the work of Christ at the forefront of his mind. So he lived a little bit more recklessly. He lived with a little bit more adventure because he realized, man, this is kingdom work. This is the work of Christ. So I'm willing to step out and to take a risk. Now, this isn't a call for us to live recklessly for the sake of taking risks. This is a call for us to live recklessly for the kingdom of God. Because when someone risks themselves for the kingdom of God countless people benefit. Imagine if nobody stepped up to take the gift from Philippi to where Paul was. We wouldn't have this book of Philippians. We wouldn't have all those coffee mug verses that we love so, so much, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength, right? We wouldn't have those. I'm standing here today as a person who is blessed 2,000 years later Because this crazy guy named Epaphroditus was willing to take a risk and go on a journey. We never know who might benefit from those risks that God might be calling us to step into. So the the application for us, kind of the next step for us, is to step into that risk that God might be calling you to take. It could be sharing your faith with somebody. It could be like what John did with me and inviting somebody to a meal. You know, it was a small risk. I could have rejected him, but it was a risk nonetheless. What risk might God be calling you to step into? Realizing that that we are working for the kingdom. This is kingdom work that God is asking us to do. So what risk might God be calling you to take? 
Maybe it's changing a career. Maybe it's just starting up a friendship with somebody. I don't know what that looks like for you, but what is that risk that God might be calling you to take? You know who I think of when I think of recklessly living for the kingdom of God? I think of Brandon Clever, who just a couple months ago we prayed over and commissioned. He gave up a year of his life, basically, a year of comfort here at his, in Prescott. You know, he gave up his first year of college to go serve the nations and tell people about Jesus. That's living recklessly for the kingdom. I think of Jenna. Oh, she's not back there. I think of Jenna. I think of Shelby Ray. I think of Lexi. I think of these teenage girls who gave up their summers to fly to Africa for weeks on end and serve the people at the Sarah Rose Foundation. You see, when we live life with the kingdom of God and the work of Christ at the forefront of our mind, we live with a little bit more adventure and we take greater risks because we realize that countless people can benefit from those risks and that God can work in amazing ways if we would just take that step, take that risk. So what risk might God be calling you to step into? I think that's a character trait that we should have as hope dealers. Now let's look at Paul with a couple of minutes that we have left. And as I mentioned earlier, he didn't have to make this section of the letter as long as he did. He could have kept it very brief because the people would have known who Timothy and Epaphroditus was. But we see Paul being intentional. See, Paul realized something. This is kind of what uh, Scott was talking about last week. He realized that the words that he spoke had significant weight to them. And he leveraged that to elevate these men to a place of honor. You see, when you elevate yourself, we call that pride. When you elevate other people, we call that encouragement. Paul was encouraging these men. He was lifting them up. He was elevating them. And from that, we can say this about Paul, that he was a lifter. I know it sounds kind of funny. You could put elevator in there if you want, or encourager. But Paul was somebody who lifted up other people. You know, Barnabas is usually the one that gets all the credit for being the encourager, but we see Paul uh, doing that as well. Verse 29, this is actually our memory verse for the week, so you guys should have this printed in your um, bulletin on a little index card. But Paul says, speaking of Epaphroditus, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. See, Paul wasn't just saying with his words, hey, honor these guys. Paul was actually putting into practice what he was preaching, and he was giving them an example of what it looked like to honor somebody with their words. See, we see Paul, what I love about the way that Paul really encourages these guys is that he doesn't spend time focusing on their achievements. He spends time focusing on who they are. He's highlighting their character. And as I read through this, I realized that I am not very good at doing that. I'm decent at honoring people for their achievements, right? I say that all the time, like, hey, 100% on the the test, good job. Oh, you got that promotion at work, praise God. Oh, good workout on the field, you played really hard, you deserve that win, right? I tend to, for whatever reason, I tend to focus on people's accomplishments, on the things that they do. And it's not necessarily bad to honor somebody for the things that they do, but I realize this about myself. If I can't go deeper than honoring somebody's achievements, then I'm setting that person up for failure. If I can't go deeper than honoring Xander or Katie or Landon for the things that they do, then of course they're just going to try to achieve more and do more because that's all they're recognized for. I'm setting them up for failure if I can't really honor them for who God designed them and desires them to be. If I can't learn how to honor their character, then I'm going to set them up 
for failure, and they're going to be achievers and doers, and they're only going to find their identity in the things that they can do and achieve, and not in who God designed them and desires them to be. So I didn't want to stand up here today and say, hey, you, go, you guys go out and honor people while well, I didn't do this. So I'm going to let you into a, a conversation that I had with my wife this past week. Because again, I'm not good at doing this. Um, but I, I was like, you know what, I need to actually put this into practice. So I called Katie this past week because I figured, gentlemen, you know, like we should start with our wives and our, and our kids. Um, those of us who are married and have wives uh, and, and, and children, uh, husbands, this is my challenge to you. Um, before you leave or before you put your head down on your pillow tonight, um, encourage your spouse for who they are. So I, I did that. And I have to tell you something. Katie and I will be together for 11 years this November. And I was still nervous to do this. It was like first date nervous because I didn't know what I was going to say. I didn't know what I was going to do. But um, I was putting Xander down for bed and we Skype because she's been in the hospital for the past month. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this over Skype. I'm not going to send a text message. I'm going to like man up and, you know, this is the best I can do uh, with the situation that I have. So we're talking and I start stuttering and I'm nervous and I'm like, Katie, I just want to know how much I love you. And then I started talking about how, how sacrificial she is. That's what I really wanted to honor in her because she is one of the most sacrificial people that I know. I mean, she's willing to give up a, life, a month of her life to, to spend um, down in a hospital um, you know, helping Landon get better. And she, she's willing to give up so much for other people. And I just wanted to highlight that about her. I wanted to speak that, uh, speak truth and life into her life. And, and as I do that, I knew I was doing good because she started to cry. And I'm like, yes, brownie points, you know? <laughs> and usually I don't try to make people cry, but in that situation, like, it was a good thing. But I have to tell you, if I'm honest, it was so awkward for me to do that. Even though she's my wife, even though we've been together for 11 years, it was still awkward for me. So I know there's other people in this room who, who you might be thinking, like, I can't do that because it's so awkward. That's not who I am. I'm not in touch with my emotions. Well, neither am I. It was awkward for me. It's going to be awkward again and again and again. But I know that if I keep this up and I make this a habit, eventually there will be a day when it's not awkward. When I could just speak truth and life into my wife and into my kids and to other people, and I'm not like, oh, man, that, that was so weird. And I hope that there's one day in my life where I can look back and say, I wasn't always like that. But my hope in Jesus transformed my character. So kind of the next step for us in this section is, how are you going to lift up the people in your life who serve the kingdom? At the beginning of the the message, I asked you to write down the name of somebody who impacted your life. So this is a question, because I'm assuming everybody's going to do this, right? How will you honor that person? How will you speak life into them? I want to challenge you to look past their achievements, look past their accomplishments, and look at who they are. And how will you honor them? How will you lift them up? You know, I thought about this because of how much I struggle with doing this. And I, and I, and I looked at Paul because he was such a good encourager. And I realized he wasn't always so good at this. So when you guys go home, read Acts chapter 9. Read about Paul before he was Paul. His name was Saul. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So there he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples. And in this passage, we see him speaking life and truth into the disciples. What made that change? Well, on the road to Damascus, many of you know this story, he met hope. He met Jesus, the source of hope, and his character changed forever. 
And the same can be true of us. If we've placed our faith in Jesus, our character should change. The hope that we have in Jesus should change our character so that we look more like him, so that we talk more like him, and so that we live more like him. My prayer for us today is that we would be people who are known for having the work of Christ and the kingdom of God at the forefront of our mind, and that we should be known as fat, reckless people who lift up others. These are character traits that I think we should possess as hope dealers. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you um, that you do change us. Sometimes it's a, a slow process and we fight and complain the whole way through, but Lord, it's, it's so worth it to think more like you and to have our character to be changed more like you. So God, I pray that... Um, that you would take these words that were spoken today as weak as they were and that you would use them, God, that you would use your spirit and your word to transform our lives so that when we leave this building here today, we would look for those opportunities to build up others. God, that we would step into those risks that you're calling us to take, knowing that you can use those risks to, to bless countless people. And Lord, that we would be faithful and available and teachable. So God, would you transform us to be more and more like Jesus each and every day as we enter into this lost and broken world as people who desire to deal hope. So thank you for loving us despite our flaws. Thank you for the cross, Jesus. Help us to never lose sight of the grace that you've given us. God, we're just so grateful to be able to worship you here this morning. We don't want to leave here in the same condition that we walked in. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Help us to surrender over those sin issues in our life. Illuminate in our hearts those things that are keeping us from following you. And God, help us to live surrendered lives. Jesus, we just love you so much and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.